We're in Colossians chapter 3 this morning. We're coming now to the second of three household relationships that Paul addresses in Colossians. And what we're going to be looking at is the relationship of parent and child. Now, like with the first relationship Paul dealt with here in the Scriptures, uh, with the husband and wife, and so we're going to see with the second relationship, the child and the parent, and vice versa, the parent and the child, you may say, well, you know what, I'm not married, or you know what, I'm, I don't have any children, or I'm not... Um, you know, I'm out of the house, so, and, and you know, I'm not living with my parents. And, but we're going to see, as we have seen already, that the principles and the teachings that Paul is giving us are universal principles for all Christians. He is just simply applying these universal Christian principles to specific areas and how they are played out in the specific areas of relationships. So for instance, the call to submission of the wife to the husband, as we've talked about, we are all as believers called to submit. We submit first and foremost to the Lord. The call of the husband to love his wife as Christ has loved the church. That is a specific function in the marriage relationship, but guess what? Jesus told the disciples before he went to the cross, to all of his disciples, including you and me by extension, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. How? As I have loved you. So we are all commanded to love. We are all commanded to submit. And we're going to see likewise, we are all commanded to show obedience And we're going to see in verse 21 to show compassion. However, we are going to specifically look, as the scripture indicates in these two verses, how this plays out in the specific relationship of parent and child. So if you are not a parent today, if you are not, for instance, living as a child under the roof of your parents, This is not for you to zone out because there are relationships where you are required to show obedience. We are all called to not provoke one another. So this is still for you. But what we're going to look at here with this parent-child relationship, I just want to start off before we get into the text By just acknowledging the fact with you that just as with the marriage relationship, so the parent-child relationship comes with a lot of preconceived notions, a lot of obstacles that have to be overcome, especially living in a culture that is controlled, as the Bible says, by the prince of the power of the air. The first obstacle I just want to look at you with is that there's the obstacle of what is considered home life in our culture. You see, there is marriage instability that produces obstacles to what Paul commands us of 
in Colossians 3, 20 and 21. For instance, I just want to read you a couple statistics. According to one source, it says 50% of all children will witness the divorce of their parents. 50%. Almost half of them, almost half of these children, will also see the breakup of a parent's second marriage. In the day and age of broken homes, it's awfully hard to follow the biblical pattern that we see of home life in verses 20 and 21 of Colossians 3. Even further still, a statistic says one out of ten children of divorce experience, get this, three or more parental marriage breakups. Can you imagine a child going through three divorces? says 40% of children growing up in America today are being raised without their fathers. 50% of all the children born to married parents today will experience the divorce of their parents before they are 18 years old. So the first thing I'd like to submit to you just as we begin to set the stage for the parent-child relationship is that verses 20 and 21 are very much so dependent on verses 18 and 19 of Colossians 3. Do you want to provide a wholesome environment to raise your children in the ways of the Lord? And do you desire your children to show the proper obedience and submission? What kind of marriage do you have today? Because that is going to greatly influence that aspect of parenting. The second, a second obstacle to home life in our culture is the obstacle not only of marriage instability, but of priority instability or investment instability. What I mean by that is it's so easy for us as parents to become so preoccupied with concerns such as work, and pulling those 80-hour weeks and, and doing it and saying, yeah, it's going to stop and it just keeps going. Of pursuing the almighty dollar. Of spending and, and without even realizing it, implementing into our children as we take the things of the Lord kind of for granted. And we're loose with our assembling ourselves together before the Lord. We start to, without even realizing it many times, show through our lifestyle that recreation, sports, whatever it is, really takes priority when it comes to Christ and His church. We begin to see an absence of Christ in the home. And that is a recipe for disaster. But not only do we look at home life and what is involved in home life as being obstacles in parenting well and in raising children who follow the Lord. But we also 
come across cultural norms and expectations that greatly provide hindrances and obstacles in the way. For instance, TV shows depict the parents sort of as despondent, you know, they don't really care, or parents as dumb or out of touch with reality, while the children in many of these shows are depicted as kind of too cool for their parents. Their parents are, are kind of a burden. They're smarter than their parents. They can outwit their parents. They're outside the bounds of parental authority. And that's what it's like to be cool if you want to be a cool kid. The attitude of, you know what, parents just don't get it. They're out of touch. Another cultural norm or expectation that produces a great obstacle in raising a godly home is the tendency that we kind of have in the 21st century that, you know what, if I'm going to parent well, I need to be a friend or a buddy to my child. And yeah, I want to be Timmy and Isaac's and Julia's friend, but you know what? I want to be much more than a friend because if I'm just a friend to my kids, what happens when our wills clash? You see, if I'm just a friend with one of you and we have a difference of opinion, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it and things like that, but, you know, okay, well, you know, it's providing it's not a major area, uh, okay, well, yeah, that's your opinion, that's mine, and we're still friends, but it doesn't work that way in a parent-child relationship, whose will is going to be broken. You see, if you are focusing on, I want my kids just to like me, then your parenting is going to be greatly hindered. There's the cultural norm and expectation many times today to simply cater to a child who is misbehaving or who is, who is exercising their sin nature and simply to label it as something. Not all the time, but many times we will slap labels on things when it's simply a sinful condition that needs to be broken. All of these things are red flags of danger when striving to have a godly home. And today we're going to look at how the Bible says a godly home is to function. And as with marriage, the same is true of parenting. The key to the parent-child relationship is this, and we're going to read this together if we can get that on the overhead. Just as with the husband and wife, the key is to realize, and say this with me, only the gospel can transform my relationships. It's not going to be your self-will. It's not going to be your persuasive arguments. It's not going to be uh, the new thing that just popped into your mind. Uh, child, uh, uh, if, you're, if you're a child of, of a, a, or a teenager or who, whatever age you are, it's not going to be the new tactic or the new persuasive argument you can try to give your parents to get what you want. It's the gospel that will transform relationships. Let's pray before we get into our, our scripture today. Father, I thank you for the privilege it is just to be able to sing the glorious truths of the songs we sang. 
Father, to acknowledge your sovereignty in the midst both of the hard times and the good times. Lord, to to be able to sing out that you are our Messiah, the rescue for sinners. God, to be able to, to declare that, Father, whatever Satan can accuse us of, we could come up with 10,000 more things. But Lord, you have cast those sins to the deepest depths of the ocean. And Lord, because of that, as we just finished singing, we stand amazed in the presence of Jesus. Father, may we, as we look at this key part of the family relationship, Father, would you remind us of the good, good Father that you are. Father, would you remind us that we need not a set of tips or helps, but God, we need the gospel to go down deeper into our hearts, to truly understand, not just with the head, but a heart passion, the things that you have done and are doing in us. God, glorious things that we can never comprehend. May that be the passion and the fire that ignites us. May that be the passion that overflows into our parenting. May that be the passion that that overflows to our parents. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to first of all look as we deal with the parent-child relationship, verse 20 shows us the role of children. Verse 20 says, Children, obey your parents in what? In what? Everything or all things. For this pleases the Lord. And then in verse 21, it gives a note to parents. It says specifically here, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And we see, first of all, the call to obedience that children are given. Children, what role are you given? If you're a teen here, and if I say children, I'm not talking down to you. What role are you given in the the home relationship? It is to obey your parents. So far, we've seen the the wife's role is to submit to her husband. The husband's role is to love your wives and not being harsh with them. The children's role now is to obey your parents. It's interesting that this word obey has the idea in this word to listen. It's the idea of listening for the purpose of heeding what you heard and following through with it. Obedience is not just simply listening because we can all listen and it goes in one ear out the other. Obedience is listening and following through. For instance, in the Old Testament... Inherent in that word as well was not just the idea of obedience 
in an outward action sort of way, but that same word could be translated to listen. In other words, you are taking in instruction and it is getting to your heart. And it's then outworking into your actions. You know what the problem is many times with our obedience? It's that it gets into the ears. But man, we're truly not listening to heed to follow through. It's not getting to the heart. Let me just give you a few passages where this word for obedience and listening is used back in the Old Testament. In Genesis 22, after Abraham obeyed God and was willing to sacrifice his only son Isaac, after God spares Isaac, he says, now I know that you truly trust me because you are willing to give me what was most precious to you. In Genesis 22, 18, God promises once again to Abraham, he says, and your offspring or your children shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Why? Because you have obeyed my voice. You've heeded what I've told you. Not just in outward actions, not just in your mind, but in your heart and your outward actions. Leviticus 26, 18, God warns the people of Israel that if they do not obey His covenant, His law that He's given them, that God will judge them and cast them out of the land of Israel, which He gave them. And here He uses the word listen. In Leviticus 26, 18, it says, and in spite of this, you will not listen. Same word that's used you will not listen to me. Then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. You see, he's not just saying, yeah, you won't, you'll just close your ears and won't listen. You will not listen with the respect of heeding what I have said and following through with it. We see just from these two examples the call to obedience and what obedience looks like. Just like a wife can outwardly submit, but yet God sees the heart and she does not have the attitude of submission, so children can obey outwardly, but man, your hearts are far from obedience. That's not true obedience. The call to obey is a God-ordained calling and role for children. In Exodus 20, 12, in the Ten Commandments, God states, Honor your father and your mother. Why? That your days may be long in the land and that the Lord your God is giving you. You see, this call to obey is not just... And parents, please don't do this. That you, you kind of use this, this scripture to kind of just for your own benefits. You better do what I say or else. And we're going to get to parents. No, this call to obey is founded not in what your parents are trying to tell you to do. It's founded in the very moral will of God. The call to obey. 
Now, many people have even used this verse to say, hey, you want to live a long life? You want to be in your 90s? Then you better obey your parents. Let's not twist Scripture. <laughs> what what, what uh, God is saying here is He's telling the people of Israel as He gives them this covenant law that you are to heed this as I give you a land, the land that I promised you. And if you want to live long in that land, If you want to be prosperous and to be fruitful in this land, then obey my covenant with you. And part of that is, as children, honor your father and your mother. Now the Bible tells us here as New Testament saints that we find the fulfillment of the inheritance not in a land, not in the land of Israel. We find the fullness of God's promise of inheritance in the new heaven and the new earth, the entire earth, not just a piece of land. And folks, we have have been promised that inheritance, but if we want to live blessed, In the ways of the Lord, then we too are going to heed this command to honor, to obey. This command is rooted in the very heart of God. Not in what your parents say. Not in what they try to shove down your throat many times in the wrong way. But always remember, if you are a child, I do not obey my parents because they are doing everything right I obey them because it pleases God. I obey them because this is the heart of God. We also see that not only is this rooted in the the moral will of God for His people, but it's rooted in the very wisdom of God for His people. The book of Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom, How do we live as God's people? Proverbs 1.8 says this, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and a pendant for your neck. In other words, it is through heeding the wisdom of your parents that you find true life. We also see that this is rooted not only in the heart of God, not only in the wisdom of God, but this is rooted in the role of God for for children. Ephesians 6.1 says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? Read it with me. For this is right. It is right. We see it all the way back from the Old Testament. We see it in the example of Jesus himself as God the Son joyfully and willingly submits to the will of the Father, becomes a man, and dies on the cross for our sins. This is right in the eyes of the Lord. So, I want to first direct your attention to the call of children to obey. And I want to secondly direct your attention to the scope of obedience. So, in what are we to obey? You may say, Pastor Adam, I realize it's, it's my God-given role 
because it pleases the Lord and it, it is his desire for a properly functioning home and life for me to obey. But what kind of things am I to obey in? Well, in Colossians 3.20, what does it say? It's pretty broad, isn't it? It says, obey your parents in what? In everything, in all things. You may say, man, I was looking for a loophole there. You see, this provides for us two things. First of all, for teenagers, children, uh, you're, you're under the authority of your parents. This, first of all, provides accountability. You see, you, if you are a child, if you are a teenager, you're living under your parents' roof. You are not to pick and choose what you to, are to obey. It says here, in all things. Now, of course, if something is displeasing to the Lord or immoral, that is something that, that you do not obey, no more than, than wives submit to your husbands is qualified as is fitting to the Lord. But yet the call to obey is a, a universal scope. There, there, there's not except in this or except in that. Children, this holds children to an accountability. But let me also say this. This secondly holds parents to a responsibility. You see, parents are called on to lead their children with wisdom in the ways of the Lord. And too many times have I seen, whether it's uh, while I was in college dealing, uh, and, and just knowing so many people and, and, and so many individuals, and 99.9% .9 of them, because it was a Christian college, from Christian homes, and to see how this command was so abused i mean to the point where it was like okay you're going to go to the college i tell you to you're going to do this that i tell you and this this is not talking about a micromanagement of your children this is talking about calling your children to obedience so that you are equipping them to know the ways of the Lord, and to be able to make godly decisions when they are on their own for the Lord. Many times, parents will so micromanage their children that when they get out of the home, that's the first time they experience any type of freedom. And man, they run wild. Because, wow, look at this freedom I have. And guess what? They don't know what to do with that freedom. You see, our parenting is a continual process as they mature and age of letting go. From the moment that that baby comes out of the womb, there is 100% dependence of the child on the parent for everything. But you know what? You start to experience that letting go even in the good things of life when that 
nightly feeding moves from two hours to four hours to six hours. And well, praise the Lord when it goes to eight hours. But guess what? That should be a reminder if you're a new parent that this is God's design for me as a parent to be continually leading them in the ways of the Lord and guiding them, but also I'm in the process of giving them back to the Lord. The worst case scenario is when a parent holds on and says, I am not going to give this child that God has given me back to him. But there is a great responsibility. If you would turn to Deuteronomy, you should have your finger in Deuteronomy. We're going to be looking at chapter 6. How do you train your children in the ways of the Lord? Because if, if, you, if children are commanded to obey in everything, then we better make sure, not that we're always going to make the right decisions, the right choices. So, so teen, if your parents tell you, no, I don't want you going to that movie because I'm uncomfortable with that Your role is to, even though you think it's the silliest, dumbest thing in the world, is to obey. But many times, the issues that we have are not with those situational issues, but it is with the heart of parenting. Look at what it says in verse 4. This is the crux of of, uh, the Old Testament as far as the home goes. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Parents, let's just stop right there. The reason verse 5 is there is because if, 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 if verse 5, if you try to skip over verse 5, you will never, ever, ever, ever implement the truths of verses 6 to 9. And your children are going to see that, man, verse 5 isn't really present in your life. But once we are striving to, to, just, to, to love the Lord, our heart's desire is for Him. It says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. We're not going to take a lot of time here because on Father's Day we we looked in detail into that passage But what he is saying is the the law of God there in the Old Testament was the law that God had given them in the wilderness. Now we have the completed scriptures. It's man, if you are going to raise your children in the ways of the Lord and that they can, can with good conscience obey in everything. The word of God and a, a love for Christ is going to be the focal point of your home. And you are going to use every opportunity you can to train them in the ways of the Lord. Is that going on in your home? Folks, this isn't a call for for, uh, parents to be deep, deep, deep scholars of the Bible and to know the original languages and to do all of that. But guess what? No matter if you consider yourself a scholar or not, we are all called 
to know God's word? How can you give what you do not first have? How can you sit your family or your son or your your daughter down and give them spiritual wisdom if you don't know what God's word says? Even our discipline is to be saturated in the scriptures. Our discipline is to be saturated in the gospel. The fact that just like little cute little Billy throws his temper tantrums in the house, and you, yes, you deal with the temper tantrums, but are you, as you disciplining them, instructing them in the ways of the Lord, saying, hey, Billy, Do you know why you threw that temper tantrum? Yeah, because I didn't get the cookie. No, there's a deeper issue. The Bible says because of what Adam did in the garden, we are all sinners. And your temper tantrum was an outworking of sin. And you know what? I'm going to have to punish you. But guess what? Because of our sin, we deserve an even greater punishment. And to be separated from God forever in hell. And Jesus came down to take our punishment for us. So little Billy, is that what I called him? Little Billy, as as you get this punishment, you need to be thankful that Jesus has taken a greater punishment for that sin of your temper tantrum. When you start parenting like that, it radically changes not only your perspective, but the perspective of your children. You may say, Pastor Adam, I I feel discouraged because I don't know God's word like I should. Well, can I just say, as you work on that in your life, can you try to ensure to say, guess what? I am not going to carry that down to my kids. I am not going to have them struggle with the same thing I'm struggling with today. Biblically, biblical ignorancy is not an excuse for the Christian. We each start somewhere. The scope of our obedience is in everything. In teens, kids, if you're here, what's the incentive of obedience? The incentive of obedience is that this pleases the Lord. This should be your number one reason for desiring to obey. To give the Lord pleasure. He finds it pleasing and acceptable when children obey. Listen, I know because I was, I was a teen, I was a little kid, there's a lot of incentives for obedience, including that trip to McDonald's to get that Happy Meal. But we should ultimately obey, not for the approval of our parents, not to have our parents be like, oh, you're such a good little boy, Billy. You were so good today. Not for approval. It's not to manipulate or deceive our parents. Man, if I do this and if I'm good here, then I'll get this over here. I'll have more leverage. And you try to deceive your parents. Guess who you're not deceiving? You're not deceiving God. And it's not for reward. 
It is to please your heavenly Father, the one who knows everything about you. So as we obey, we should ask ourselves, is my obedience really pleasing the Lord? In other words, am I showing a heart obedience or just an outward obedience? Because we know what an outward obedience produces. Remember the example of Samuel and Saul? Saul kind of obeys and everything except a few things. And and Samuel says, God desires obedience, not sacrifice. He says the same thing in the book of Isaiah. God says, you people, you honor me with your lips and your actions go against what I say. And I am sick and tired of your sacrifices. Because God sees the heart. So verse 20 is a call for children to exercise obedience from the heart for the purpose and with the result of pleasing the Lord. And then we get to verse 21 where we talk about parents. Verse 21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children. Here we have the command to parents. Do not provoke them. Now, first of all, we note the one to whom this command is addressed. It's command to fathers. You may say, well, that's interesting. Why is it fathers? Why not just the general term for parents? The the term for parents is already used in verse 20. So why does Paul now go to fathers? There's really two reasons for this. First of all, just as we saw in verse 18 and 19, the, the husband, the father, is the head of the home. Paul says, fathers, as leaders in your home, this is your ultimate responsibility to ensure that this is not happening in your home. So in other words, fathers, your wife, your spouse may be not raising your child in the ways of the Lord. And guess who God places the responsibility and will cause to give an account for that? Ultimately, on the husband, on the leader of the home. Why? Because it is the role that God has given you. And there may have to be acts of wisdom and discernment if a a spouse is not on the same page. And there may have to be some some detail work that maybe isn't there when, when both husband and wife are on the same page. But that does not negate the fact that God holds the husbands as ultimate in accountability when it comes to the home. Secondly, I think the reason why fathers are listed as opposed to just parents in general or fathers and mothers is because fathers are typically the ones in danger of doing what we read in verse 21. Wouldn't you agree? You may say, oh, you don't know my mother. You don't know my (laughs) mother-in-law. Not every case, but fathers are typically the ones in danger of doing this. So let's look at the danger here. In in, In trying to accomplish verse 20, parents, and especially fathers, are in danger of doing verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children. In other words, what he's saying 
before we get into what does provoke mean, he's saying, parents, verse 20 doesn't give you a free pass to just exercise your will undiscerningly upon your kids. You will give an account. But what does this word provoke mean? You see, this was a very real danger in the first century when Colossians was written, just as it is in the 21st century. The word provoke has the idea to stir something up, to stir the pot as if reacting to a challenge. Has the idea of provoking or irritating, often resulting in rebelling or becoming dispirited. So it's almost the idea, provoking is almost the idea, the word picture, and maybe you can recall this back from your elementary, high school days, hopefully no further than college days, getting up in somebody's face and be like, well, what are you going to do about it? You're provoking. You're egging on. You're leaving the child with the unfortunate circumstances to make a choice how they are going to react to a hostile situation. We're going to see at the end of this verse what is often the result of that. This word is variously translated um, in different ways, this word uh, in different translations. Uh, just so you get an idea of this, do not provoke your children, the full sense of it. Uh, for instance, the New American Standard Bible says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. NIV says, fathers, do not embitter your children. Don't give them reason to harbor bitterness. The New Living Translation says, Fathers, do not aggravate your children. Now before we go where Scripture does not intend to go, that does not mean that you are laying down the rules uh, of your family and you are seeking to, to, to implement having a biblical home and your, parents, your kids don't like it and they get mad, that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about challenging them with peripheral, doesn't even matter, issues. And maybe in some cases it does, but belittling them. You see, you can take a stand in love as the leader of your home and do it in love without berating, without stripping the will without verbally assaulting them. The only other occurrence in this, of this word provoke in the New Testament is found in 2 Corinthians 9.2. Uh, it'll be on the overhead. It says, for I know your readiness. This is Paul talking to the church of Corinth to get ready for a big offering Paul was going to collect and bring to the church in Jerusalem that was struggling he says, I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, ready to give this offering. And he says, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. That word stirred up here in a positive sense is used in a negative sense in Colossians. And let that be a warning to, to us as parents that 
that us in our children's lives can stir up in the positive that, yes, you know, I want to serve the Lord. I want to, to keep going for him. I, you know, um, my, my dad, my mom sees the, these abilities in me that maybe I don't even see. And man, that can stir me up. Even if, if it's not stirring them up right now, they could maybe look back five, 10 years and say, man, my parents have always been my biggest cheerleaders. And that stirs them up to pursue great things for God. Or we can become so sarcastic and belittling that that produces a negative stirring up that results in rebellion or why even try because no matter what I do, it's not enough for mom and dad. It's interesting that the Bible shows us that the parent-child relationship is not one-sided. It's not, just like the husband-wife relationship is not one-sided. Woman, submit. Or husband, love me, flaws and all. <laughs> it is both working together. So the parent-child relationship, it's not, kid, obey me. And it's not the child saying, what are you going to do about it? You're not the perfect parent. Both have their God-given responsibilities and roles. But it was not the case when Scripture, it was not this case culturally when Scripture was written. Just like it is, it is not the case for the most part in our culture. Listen to this statement concerning Roman law around the time when Colossians was written. The author writes, under a section of Roman law entitled Patria Potestas, which means the power of the father. The father could do anything he wanted with his children. He could sell them, turn them into slaves, even take their lives. But here... As with husbands and wives, both children and parents were presented as under God. The dominating example, get this, was the loving fatherhood of God. So husband, you are not to be harsh, in verse 19 it says, with your wife. Again, that has the idea of acting out in bitterness against them. Woman, I'm fed up. Why? Because you are loving your wife with a higher calling than just your wife. So parents, you are parenting with a higher example than just your own self or your own dad and mom with all of their flaws. No, your example is God, the heavenly father who's perfect. You see, Roman law said one thing, said do whatever you want to your kids. But what does Christ's law say in the New Testament? Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But what's the opposite of that? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9. You may say, if you are being really attentive today, 
Pastor Adam, I thought you said that the only word provoke was used in the New Testament was in 2 Corinthians 9. Well, I see the very same word provoke in Ephesians 6. So, so uh, what's the deal with that? This is actually a different word that's used here. This has the idea of you're causing to bring your children to anger, to wrath. In this context in Ephesians, the emphasis is on, is on anger. But as we're going to see in Colossians uh, 3, the emphasis is on despondency and bitterness. Two different things can occur. But going back to Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. This word your, your in verse 21 is emphasized in the original language. So in other words, it's saying, man, these are your own children. What responsibility you have been given. It's not other people's children. It's your own. A treasure from the Lord. Paul probably had in mind the, the words of David as he wrote this. Children are a heritage from the Lord. And the fruit of their womb is his reward. Guard that treasure So we look at this warning. Lest they become discouraged. That word discouraged has the idea you, just, you, you lose heart. You become dispirited, disheartened. Have you ever been under an employer, adults, that have made you feel like you couldn't do anything right? What did that produce in you? Many times it takes a couple years at the next job to regain your confidence that, hey, I actually can do a good job in something. Don't let that be the battle cry of your home. God calls us to see deeper than just the, the, the surface level when it comes to our kids. So as we close today, there are three things that I think that parents need to take to heart as we close. We haven't been able to get into all of the details for sake of time. Um, for instance, issues like, well, what about how does, a parent, how does a child honor their parents when they're out of the home and have a family of their own? We haven't had to touch on all of that, haven't had time. But these are three simple truths that we need to take to heart as we close. Specifically dealing with this warning that parents are given. First of all, we have to take to heart that we can exasperate our children to the point that they will either rebel or quit trying. Depending on your child's personality would depend on the route they go. If your child is very laid back, you know, doesn't have, does, sometimes doesn't seem to have a whole lot of gumption, or maybe they're a people-pleaser type child, and you exasperate your children, what's going to happen is they're going to get so discouraged they quit trying. 
If your child is more maybe type A personality or really has that will of their own, what will wind up happening is they rebel. And folks, we live in a fallen world. You can be simply not exasperating your children. You can be seeking to raise them in a godly way, and they may still rebel. They may still quit trying. And that's because we live in a fallen world where individuals have to make their own choices ultimately. But let's not encourage the rebelling or the quitting. So if we take some practical examples, being, let's take a common example of schoolwork, something every parent deals with, right? What is a parent that is trying to spur on their children to, to encourage them and to train them in the ways of the Lord? A great thing would be taking them and really encouraging them that God has wired you and he has given you certain abilities that you may not even know of and you may not even like this subject that you're struggling with or that you're really good at. But yet, Colossians 3.17, which you should be right on that page, man, it says this, if, we, if we're servants of Christ, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, and say, hey, Billy, when you don't try, you're really not giving an answer to me or mom as your parent. You're not giving an answer to your teacher ultimately. What you are doing is you are kind of spurring God who's saying, man, in everything you do to glorify God with, with the brain he's given you, the abilities he's given you, to do even those things to the glory of God so that he can receive the glory. And man, who, know, who knows how God may want to use you. Don't limit yourself by poor grades. A very ungodly approach is just dealing with the fruits. What's your problem? Wake up, pay attention. And there's no, there's no ultimate incentive. I mean, that is why I, that I, I try to proclaim gospel to you. Not only what God has done for us, what he is doing, and what we have to live purposely for, for eternity. If we just say, yeah, serve God, what's wrong with you? You're not serving him, you're not in his word, what's wrong with you? What kind of an incentive is that? So it is with our kids, or the flip. What, you, you studied for this test four hours, you got a B plus, you should have got an A in that, what's wrong with you? Are our actions causing our children to become discouraged? You see, when we're dealing with sin issues, the children may indeed be discouraged for a, for a time. Paul writes in, in 2 Corinthians, I was sorry to write to you in such a harsh way in the book of 1 Corinthians, but I am glad that I did that because it produced in you a godly repentance. So there is a difference between 
between laying down discipline, dealing with, with sin issues versus dealing with our own little preferences. Secondly, how you parent is just as important as whether you are parenting. You see, many individuals, many of whom are believers and maybe who call themselves believers, who think they are believers, will say, man, I do so much for my kids. I, try, I seek to, to, to provide for them. They have nice clothes. They have toys they want. You know, I, I try to spend time with them. And, and yeah, they're, you, you know, they're parenting. But the accountability that we have before God is not just if we are parenting, it is how we are parenting. It's not just being there for your kids. It is showing Christ to your kids. How you parent is just as important. And I would say even more important than just the fact of parenting then I would say this thirdly and lastly. The one and other commands of Scripture apply just as much to your children as they do to your fellow church member. You may say, what do you mean the one and other commands of Scripture? Throughout the New Testament, there are all sorts of commands to do certain things or not do certain things to one another. Let me just give you a few examples. Mark 9.50 commands us to be at peace with one another. John 6.43 says, don't grumble with one another. Colossians 3.9, right here in our passage, do not lie to one another. Colossians 3.13, bear with and forgive one another, even um, if one has a complaint against the other. John 13.34, love one another. Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in love. John 13, 14, wash one another's feet. Galatians 5, 13, serve one another. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens. On and on it goes. Guess what? That applies to how you interact with your children just as it does with your fellow church member. Don't try to act all pious and godly to Mr. Deacon or Mr. Friend, then you get in your car and you treat your kids like trash. You yell at them and you berate them. Just like you don't need to do that with your spouse. The one another command applies. Why? Because in God's eyes, we are all equal. We all hold different roles, but we are equal and then there's actually a fourth one. Sorry, I didn't see this one. This is so important. Especially if you're in the, the throes of parenting with toddlers and babies. Remember something Rachel and I often have to remind ourselves of. Remember that you will only be able to parent your children once. I like one statement that I just read last night. This is the prayer for our home as we look ahead. Although it's hard, sometimes when you're raising young children, it's hard to think ahead too far. 
You're so busy right now. But listen to this statement, this parent's hope. One day, when my children are grown, I hope they will still come through that front door without knocking. I hope they head to the kitchen for a snack and rifle through the mail looking for a magazine they always read. I hope they come in and feel the weight of adulthood leave them, for they are home. For my children, my door will forever be open. Above all else, I hope they know this without me telling them. Love speaks clearly enough. Folks, if you have children that are still living in your home, you fast forward 10, 20, 30 years. Are your kids going to want to come back to visit more than just, well, I better see mom and dad, it's been a while? See, we can take a gauge test. Are your children, especially if you're dealing with younger children, are they happy? Are they excited to be around, to be around you? Do they take comfort in your parenting of them? Or man, do they kind of tense up when you get near? Because there's a fear of what am I going to do that they're not going to like? May we today, as moms, dads, take a Bible reality test of our parenting. Again, you may be the perfect parents, and not that we ever really will be, and your children may rebel. We're not talking about the new heaven and the new earth yet. We're living in this broken earth. This isn't a, a one plus one equals two recipe. This is biblical instruction. This is what we do for the Lord, not for just the results. But do you need to get some things right, first of all, between you and the Lord? Maybe your relationship is lacking, and that's why the relationships around you are lacking. Do you need to then go to your kids, maybe make some apologies? Teens, kids, do you need to say, you know what, mom, dad, I apologize. I've been rebellious. I've been trying to sneak behind your back. I've been trying to manipulate things. I've been, having, I've been obeying outwardly, but in my heart I haven't been obeying. And I realize that that's not just a sin against you guys. That's ultimately a sin against God. And, and I've, tr got, I've brought that before God and I've placed that down at his feet. I've asked for, for Christ's forgiveness, but I want to ask for you guys' forgiveness. May we do a reality test today in our homes. Let's pray.